U.S. Open Cup run has come to an end after a hard-fought but ultimately unsuccessful showdown against its biggest rivals. Hello everybody, you are listening to Miami Total Football Radio, the number one and most listened to Inter-Miami podcast providing you all the latest news, updates, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much more. We have been listened to in more than 50 countries and counting. We also go by the name of... Miami Total Football Radio. I am one third of your hosting team. My name is Franco Panizo. We have two other thirds here. One is one of the regulars. One is a newcomer. We'll start with the regular, which is Jose Armando, a.k.a. Island Jose. Jose, how are you doing? I know you were having some laundry problems earlier this week. So how is the Island Jose kingdom coming along? Uh, it's good. It's good. Everything has been fixed. So, uh, it, it's a, it's a good situation except that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done when your dryer and washer is not working for a couple of days, but we're, we're getting through that. And, um, yeah, so everything, everything's good. Everything's good. How's your cell phone doing? Cause I know there was also some technology hurdles that you were <laughs> overcoming this week as well. Um, it's good. It's good. You know, it's a little bit smaller than what, than what I thought it was. But you know, um, I'm 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 just trying to figure things out. You know, new phone, uh, still a, a Samsung, but um, yeah, just a little bit smaller. But good. good. Some someday, and and I should say that Franco has been telling me to switch to an iPhone. I used to have an iPhone, but um. We'll see. You we'll should see. switch to an iPhone. You should. And no, this show is not brought to you brought to you by Samsung or by iPhone, but I am a big iPhone advocate. I'm not like super into all the apps and gizmos. I just think it functions and works very, very well. Could be my ignorance to all the other cell phones out there. Maybe you listeners can let me know if there's a better phone out there, but I've had an iPhone for the last, what, how many years is it? 12 years or so maybe, and you know, I don't have... Very much complaints. Okay, the other co-host today, she started as a special guest, but I think we're going to make her part of the rotation a little bit more. She's earned her minutes very much like like Bryce Duke. We are, of course, talking about Andrea Yanis, Jose's colleague and Jose's wife. I'm glad you're back for a, for a second round. I'm glad that, that there was no real fights or arguments after your first appearance. How are you, Andrea? Hi, Franco. Hi, Jose. I'm Jose's boss. I want that added to the podcast. Okay, I'll add that to your title going forward. Jose's boss. Got you. I'm kidding, guys. Thank you for having me again. Happy to be here. Um, and uh, I have to say, I am team Android 100%. I was on team iPhone when it first came out. And I had a couple of iPhones, like until iPhone 8, I think. Then change to Android and it changed my life. So I'm team Android and Jose is going to be team Android until I say so. <laughs> oh, man, Andrea. Just- See, I just said that we're going to have you in the rotation a little bit more. Now I'm, re- you know, now I'm second guessing that. Now I'm kind of, uh, oh, maybe not. Maybe we won't invite her back. Our corporate sponsor. No, I'm just kidding. Again, we, we don't have a sponsor on this show. So no, no iPhone sponsor. We will. If you want to be a sponsor, you can contact Franco. You can contact any of us if you want to see this amazing podcast and this amazing show where we talk about Inter Miami and all of the things um, 
normally you don't get anywhere else. So if you want to sponsor us, contact us. Yeah, look, look at that. Andrea with the saleswoman pitch. I love it. I love it. She's back in. She's back in the good graces again. All right. Well, look, we have a lot to talk about because Wednesday's U.S. Open Cup round of 16 match against Orlando City in the latest edition of the Sunshine Clásico, El Clásico del Sol, it was pretty eventful. Pretty eventful. A lot of talking points. We were in our WhatsApp group having a lot of discussion, a lot of debates there about certain elements of the game. So we already have a little bit of a, of a runway that we should build on coming into this episode. So we'll talk about all that. We will, of course, preview this weekend's game on Saturday against the Portland Timbers. We'll do that with John Rojas, a longtime MLS reporter and analyst. And, of course, at the very end, we'll do the Q&A session. So, Jose and Andrea, I hope you guys have your boxing gloves on. Let's get to it. All right, so let's just jump right into it. Inter-Miami played Orlando City on Wednesday night at Exploria Stadium in Central Florida. And Inter-Miami was eliminated from the U.S. Open Cup in the round of 16. A one-to-one draw. That went to extra time, and then penalty kicks was decided 4-2 in favor of the Lions. This was the lineup that Inter-Miami went with. Drake Callender once again in goal. The back four comprised of center-back partnership Damian Lowe and Amey Mabika. The fullbacks, Victor Uyo on the right, Christopher McVeigh on the left. Your midfield three were Gene Mota as the six, Gregory a little bit more advanced than him, and Robert Taylor as well on the left side of that midfield triangle. Up top, from right to left, Indiana Vasilev, Gonzalo Higuain, and Emerson Rodriguez. The goals came in extra time after a scoreless regulation, a scoreless 90 minutes. Gene Mota opens the scoring, his first official goal for Inter-Miami in the 94th minute. A nice finish there from outside the penalty area. Three minutes later, though, Facundo Torres gets Orlando City back into it and on level terms with also a good finish from him after some good combination play and some nice dribbling from him, from the Uruguayan. That means penalty kicks. We won't go through all all of the the takers, but for Inter-Miami, Drake Haller does not come up with a save while Bryce Duke and DeAndre Edlin Both missed their attempts. Duke had his saved. Yedlin shot his over the crossbar. We will talk about that in more detail in just a little bit. Jose, I start with you. What were your overall thoughts Your or your biggest analysis? Give me your biggest analysis. We'll, we'll jump into all of our overall thoughts. But give me your biggest analysis point from this game. Well, um, I should start saying that, you know, this was an entertaining match. I don't think that um, there was a lot of quality in it but it was fun to watch i really enjoyed watching the game and um i was i'm starting to get a little bit concerned with inter miami's slow start so i think they had another slow start um i think this is the third game in a row in which you know it's it's a slow start again which i mean still it's not it's, it's, it's not enough to say that you know it's it's a big problem but it's something to look at um and, um, you know, after the slow start, uh, I think Inter-Miami started to play a similar match to what we saw uh, previously in the previous rounds of the Open Cup. You know, they struggled and they uh, but but they find a way to just stay even and stay in the game. And um, at some point, I thought maybe they were 
they will be able to to get a, a goal in a counterattack and maybe move on to the next round. But you know, overall, I think it was an entertaining match to watch. I think this is the first actually Sunshine Classico. That's what you're calling it. Yeah, Sunshine Classico. And that's what you're Classico. calling it now too, which I like. <laughs> uh, well, I have to get to it. Man. It's part of my contract, right? Uh, you can't uh, share. You can't uh, share details of the contract out loud, Jose. Come on, man. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, um, so yeah, so I thought. I thought it was the first time that, you know, I actually sense some sort of rivalry on the field between these two teams. And, and, um, and, and yeah, I think overall, I think it was just an entertaining match to watch. I think this is the, the match that I had, that I had the most, uh, let me, let me check this. Yes. I think there was, I don't think there's another match that I had a, as much fun, uh, an inter Miami match, as much fun watching it than, than the one midweek. So, um, Ever? yeah, it was, it was, Yes, yes, I, th- I really enjoy the match. Wow. I really enjoyed it. Okay, so we could not disagree more, which we, we had this talking point on Wednesday when we were texting in that WhatsApp group because I did not enjoy the first 90 minutes of this game. You said there was not a lot of quality, but it was fun and eventful. I would disagree. I think it got fun in extra time when the goals came and then definitely in penalty kicks from a neutral perspective. Obviously, if you're an Inter-Miami fan... And an Orlando City fan, you're probably on the edge of your seat, biting your nails. Maybe some anxiety there because penalty kicks are obviously not easy to to watch in a win or go home match when there's something at stake. I did not think the game was particularly good until those final 30 minutes and the, the shootout, the penalty shootout. So we'll dive into that in a little bit more. I will say that I didn't get the sensation that this felt like a rivalry game from what I saw on the field between the two sides. The the game didn't transmit that rivalry feeling to me. It was interesting and it's probably the most memorable matchup between the two Florida sides. If maybe right there neck and neck with uh, the MLS's back opener, which was obviously the first game back from the pandemic um, shutdown, which was the first time these two teams met in a meaningful match. So Right alongside that one, just because of what that was. But I don't think it was a, a great game, and I did not enjoy it up until the end. Andrea, what were your thoughts on the game, and did you enjoy it as much as Jose did? I'm going to go here to a middle ground, because I don't agree 100% with Jose, but I don't agree with you either, because I think uh, the last 30 minutes in extra time were awful. <laughs> of course, they 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 scored, but... After with all the changes and all of that, it was uh, interrupted, a lot of fouls, a lot of stop in play. So I didn't like the game. Actually, those last minutes, obviously with the changes and Inter Miami going to six defenders on paper, I -hmm. didn't like that. But during the first half, there were some strong moments. And during the second half, I I, I really liked it. I want to mention um, uh, the coming in of Ariel Lassiter and Yedlin because um, I think they changed the game. Um, I think they they got in and and changed the game. I was sad to see that for extra time, more defensive. So I think that that like cut it the game, cut it the momentum that that, that the team had. So I didn't like those last 30 minutes just because of that. So I think it was a good match. And I do agree with Jose in, in the fact that I think this was the first game that felt like a classical, not like just for the marketing that MLS does with this, like they try to do with Orlando and Atlanta. This felt like naturally a rivalry because it was um, they fought for every ball. 
they fought with everything. It was like the, in the ambience, you could feel that the players were truly fighting and that is what makes a good rivalry, not marketing and all of that, right? So I really felt that in this game and I was uh, uh, in, in surprise that Phil uh, thought that too because of course he's a man of football, he knows about rivalries, he has played in one of the biggest and in two of the biggest rivalries in, in his career with Manchester United and Liverpool and then with Liverpool and Everton. So I think we got really that vibe from this game. So that's why I really like it. Maybe not the plate so much, but um, because I don't agree with some of the changes and all of that and some of the choices uh, to take players off thinking uh, if you are thinking about penalties, then you should have not made those sh those changes. And uh, but I think overall it was a good game. It was um, uh, the best they've looked in in the cup in in, in the three games that they played. Interesting. So there's there's a lot we can debate about, and I'm sure we will hear because I do agree that I think this game was it, it was a step forward for the rivalry in terms of you know the dramatics and and the things that went into the game. I don't again. I don't see that feistiness and that chippiness that you normally see in rivalries. And by the way, Clásico is just in Spanish for the English language listeners that may not speak Spanish or may not know Spanish. Clásico is essentially just the word that's used for rivalry in football terms in Spanish, right? It's it's like derby, like derby, 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 essentially, essentially. So that's why you hear Clásico used, or you might hear us use the word Clásico here and there, because obviously, if you do a literal translation, Clásico would go to like classic, which could be like an all-time classic which then doesn't, you know, it might not make sense. But Clásico essentially just means rivalry in Spanish football terms. But, I didn't, you know, this is a step forward. This is a step forward, I think, for the rivalry because it was a meaningful game, a very meaningful game, and there was a lot of drama involved in it. Although, again, the game, for me, left a lot to be desired over the course of the 90 minutes especially. However, however, there is a saying in Spanish... That for a rivalry to truly be a rivalry, both teams have to be competitive, right? Both teams, there needs to be a little back and forth in terms of the all-time series. And until now, it's been mostly Orlando City that's won these games. So until Inter-Miami is able to raise its level more consistently and make for more meaningful games like this one. This one was meaningful because it was a knockout game. But until Inter-Miami can get to that level, I don't think we will feel, truly feel that that classico, that rivalry on the field. Because if Orlando City is well, near, this... near the top and Inter-Miami is near the bottom, they're, you know, they're both not playing for very important things. And they were in this one, and I, we're getting a little sidetracked here, a little parenthesis. But when they both play more meaningful games, and you know it'll matter more for the standings or if it's a playoff spot, etc., that's when I think the rivalry will really, really take off. Because the fans on in the stands, they obviously have animosity towards one another in the sporting sense. But on the field, I just I, ha I haven't seen that bad blood by and large to date. Well, this is the start. I mean, that's why we were saying, like, this is the first time that we can actually send some sort of rivalry on the field. So, you know, I'm assuming if that is the case for the players as well, then the next game between Orlando City and Inter-Miami will tell us if this was indeed the start or not. Because, you know, it was physical. It was 
you know, that there was something in it. There was something in it that was different, but we aren't, we're only going to get to confirm that once. It was just a chippy again. game. To me, so. it was just a chippy game. It was a chippy game because there there weren't many goals and there was a lot of subpar play. Subpar play. Because I know you said you enjoyed it, although you noted, Jose, that the quality was low. And I just use numbers to back it up. So here here we'll just look at the stats really quickly. Uh, here we go. <laughs> stats, here we go. stats can oh. help an argument. Oh, my God. I don't think they what make an the argument, but they can help an argument. What is that just dumb stat that they have here? Secondary assist. No, but listen. 28 <laughs> shots. 28 <laughs> shots from Orlando City in oh, this game. God. 12 from Inter-Miami. So that's a total, a total of 40 shots taken over 120 minutes. Of those 40 shots, Orlando City put six on frame. Inter-Miami put three on frame. The quality was poor. And a lot of these chances were not good chances. So while there were while there was tension and it was scoreless, and I you know, I hear all of that, I thought the first 90 minutes, again, particularly were very poor and not easy on the eyes, especially from a neutral perspective. So Are you happy now? Did you let it all out? <laughs> Do you have more stats? I have you, I, you... I have more stats if you want more stats. But oh. no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's 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 dive but of the goal. Let's dive into the game. Let's dive into the game. Let's dive into the game. I, because I, we can get past the aesthetics whether we like the game or not from from our seat or our vantage point. And now we can dive into the X's and O's. Andrea did a little bit in terms of being critical of the performance that was put forth from Inter Miami. Jose, did you like Inter Miami's performance in this one? Because they were competitive, but they, to me, reverted back to that gritty side, the side that was just looking to grind out a result, which is fine. It's an Open Cup game, and they were on the road. But it wasn't the free-flowing soccer, or the more free-flowing soccer that we've seen from Inter-Miami in recent matches. I think the front three, Phil Neville changed the, com- the front line completely. I think that played a, a big part in it. Also, having Uyoa and Christopher McVeigh as the fullbacks, who aren't essentially, who aren't really natural fullbacks. Not really, they just aren't natural fullbacks, and they don't necessarily get forward as well as the likes of DeAndre Yedlin and Kieran Gibbs. And, you know, you can even throw in Breck Shea in there and, and Noah Allen, Jovan <laughs> Jones. So I think Inter Miami went back. They reverted to that defensive minded or more defensive-minded team than the attack, a little bit more attack-minded side that we've seen. Now, Inter Miami did have its moments, and they could have even won this one late. Let's not forget to mention that. They could have even won this one late. Leonardo Campana had a glorious chance there at the end in front of, well, a goalkeeper-less net, but Orlando City, I think it was Robin Jansen. I might be, might be mistaken on that, but he clears it out with his head on what would have been the game-winning shot in stoppage time of extra time. But regardless... Jose, did you like what you saw from Inter Miami in this game? Uh, well, that's a tricky question because um, I think you mentioned um, something that's that's key for the performance of the team this this uh, in this game, and you know the fact that uh, Victor Ulloa and and McVeigh were playing out of position. I think that limited the the, the potential of the team. Um, obviously, going through the wings. Is something very important for Inter Miami, and yes. when you have um, Victor Yo as a right back and and McVeigh on the left, even though obviously McVeigh we have seen him play uh, quite a few games, and he did get forward, back. he did get forward decently no, but, on, on, at times in this game. But you cannot 
expect absolutely anything from a center back moving forward on the left side of the field. I mean, absolutely. Everything that he does is a bonus. I mean, you cannot expect a single thing from him there. You cannot ask him that. Um, so um, that that's going to limit the, the potential of the teams. And so, you know, obviously... Uh, Phil knows that he I'm sure he's the first one to recognize that. So what do you do? Then you go to their strengths and um, their strengths were to um, defend and to limit opportunities for Orlando. It, it's unfortunate because, you know, this is a game that I think if you're inter Miami moving forward, when you go to Orlando, you are going to have to try to get three points there. You, it, It's on the road, but I mean, come on, it's four hours from your from your home uh, turf, so um, it's 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 a uh, it should be a rivalry game. So moving forward, I think you need to have another approach to this game and, and attack Orlando as well. They are a good team. They have a great coach in Oscar Pareja, but I don't think they are um, an overpowering team that you cannot even consider going to to explore a stadium and 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 be the aggressor. So. Um, I think uh, that that limited the team, but I I was I was I, I think the energy level, I think the the desire of the team as a whole to 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 move on to the next round. I think that's something that I value a lot. And um, and unfortunately, you know, in, in in the cup, when you don't take advantage of your opportunities, and Inter Miami saw that um, both teams, both teams matches, saw that. Against again no, but against against Tormenta, Tormenta mm. had chances. They did not score. Miami FC same thing, um, and then at that time, Inter Miami they they were able to, you know, to just take advantage of those missed opportunities. This time around, I think you know they had chances. They were playing on the road. Um, they did not score, and you know it's it's penalty kick in the end. Obviously, we're gonna get. Is it? Is it? Do you want to get to penalty kicks now? Well, well before we get there, before we get there, you brought up yeah. an interesting point. Before I, I go to Andrea, and I, I do want to hear both of your answers. I'll start with Andrea on this question, but I do want to hear yours as well, Jose, because you touched on a, on a very important point that I've kind of brushed over here a little bit with the lineup. Phil Neville has said, Inter Miami has said throughout the Open Cup tournament that they prioritize it that it's important to them and that they are making a serious push for it and he has phil neville has repeated that before each game essentially that they're taking it very seriously but this hasn't this wasn't their best lineup and they never really played their best lineup in either of their three games so while i do think they did prioritize it or excuse me while i do think that they did put importance in it i don't think that they prioritized it because if they had Leonardo Campana would be starting. DeAndre Yedlin would be starting. You know, I, I, in my opinion, in my opinion. Now, Phil Neville after the game said DeAndre Yedlin and Leonardo Campana weren't in the best condition to start the game on Wednesday, which I think is just a coaching talking point because go back to last Wednesday for DeAndre Yedlin's case, he was rested in that game. You go back to what was it a couple of weeks ago for the Tormenta match, Leonardo Campana sat out that game completely, so it's not like they haven't gotten any rest whatsoever. So for me, yes, they put importance into it, but they did not, did not prioritize it over the MLS games, which which is fine, you know, if that's the approach they want to take. But given that it's probably their best their best opportunity to to win a title and to win a trophy this year. I think that it was a missed opportunity 
from them and, and something that I think was a mistake, although obviously clearly they're focused on the MLS season, which is something I told you they would be, Jose. They're trying to make the playoffs regardless of if we think they will or not. Andrea, did you think the team prioritized it? Do you think they put a lot of stock into it? How do you take the lineups that we saw from Inter-Miami in this one and over, over the course of the three games that Inter-Miami played? I think they did. I think they did. Obviously, um, this is a team that has a lot of problems, so not all the players can be starters in every game. But I think they did prioritize it because if you see this lineup, you saw mostly um, starters from the season. Of course, they've been playing ha- every every week, sometimes three games a week. So I understand Phil... Uh, when he tries to take care of of like Campana, who's not a hundred percent physically, who is um, well after scoring those goals hasn't scored uh, um, consistently because he is not a hundred percent physically. So I understand. Wait, that wait, wait, hold on. Why is he not a hundred percent physically? Well, he said it after the last game when he scored, and he said that he wasn't a hundred percent, that he didn't train for five days last week. That was two weeks ago now. Uh, yeah, it's so. And you played on the weekend, then you played on on the middle of the week, and then you play on the weekend again, and then on the middle of the week, he doesn't have any more players. In the case of Campana, he doesn't have any more. Uh, he just has Campana and Gonzalo for the ninth ninth. Right, right. Uh, but it's not just about this game, Andre. Did they did they show over the course of the three games that they were prioritizing it based on the lineups that they did play over the three games? I would say no. I would say. And then against Miami FC, uh, Campana played. He was a starter. The defenders were all starters. Then against Tormenta, Yelin and and Lassiter were starters. Basically, he made a mix with the players, with the starting players. If you you count, the the starting players were always a majority in all these three games they played. Right, but then that doesn't mean that they're, to me, that doesn't mean that they're prioritizing. They're they're putting importance into it, but they're not prioritizing. Because look, if it was an MLS, Andrea, if it was an MLS Cup game, if it was MLS Cup final, and there was no more games after after that, just the final, trophy on the line, Phil Novel goes with his best lineup. There's no, well, I'm going to put this guy in here so that this guy gets rest. And there's not, there's not none of that thinking because there is no tomorrow. There's just a championship game. So, again, I agree with you that they put importance into it, but I don't think that they made it the, they put the most, the most thing. Seven, eight players that are starters. And then if you see, if you see, if they weren't prioritizing, then he could have played with all players from Inter Miami too. Like uh, Seattle did in MLS when they were playing the the Concacaf Champions League. I'm not disagreeing so, with you the, there. I'm not disagreeing the with the you. The under there. 16 Seattle Sounders team. You guys? Yeah, the under 16. So it's not, right. I think Miami did prioritize because when you don't prioritize, like Seattle did in MLS, the perfect example, you play with youngsters, and Miami never did. Miami played like eight starters against Miami, like more starters against Tormenta. And then uh, this uh, the, the game in this week, they were almost everyone was a starter. In, uh, um, the, the, no, the no absolutely, I, I absolutely don't agree with that at all. Because the, look at the front three, we're all different. Vasilev, Iguain, Emerson. Andrea, I agree with you. Uyo is not a starter. Uyo is not a starter. But Uyo, yeah, but if you count, there are more players that are starters than they're not. Okay, correct. So I understand Phil, Phil cannot put, obviously, the same lineup because they're simply the players don't have the physical capacity at this moment to play 
half in the because in he's taking because, exactly because he's taking into account the weekend game in MLS, and that means that they're not prioritizing the Open Cup because, over. But that, that Andrea, I agree with you. Andrea, I agree with you. Andrea, I agree with you that this was no. Andrea, I agree with you. Andrea, I agree that they put that they they put importance into it. And I think that's where we need to distinguish it. I think Inter Miami did put importance into the Open Cup. They did not approach it, like you said, with a Seattle under-16 team lineup with a bunch of Inter Miami CF2 players. <laughs> but I don't think they prioritized it. Because prioritizing it means you play your best lineup, or as close to your best lineup as possible. And when you see the amount of changes that they made consistently with their three lineups over the course of the games, let's not forget Drake Callender. I don't know if you're considering him a starter now or not, but when he started in the first game against Miami FC, he was not the, he was not even in the conversation to be the starter yet. So they've gone with lineups that are more mixed, 100%. But that does not mean that they've prioritized it. That means that they've put importance into it. I can hear I would hear that argument, but I would disagree hard that they prioritized it as much as they said publicly. Jose, your thoughts? Yeah, I want to say two things. The first thing, Andrea... If Campana starts, then Franco's going to be happy. He wants Campana to start over in every single match. So he would have considered this uh, uh, a good performance and the start of uh, 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 greatness for Campana. All right, moving on from that. I do agree with Franco, by the way. Yes, all right. The boss is going to get very upset with you. <laughs> I, I think they did not. I mean, it, it's pretty clear. Uh, to me, it's pretty clear. If if you want to put your uh, best 11 out there against Portland, um, then you have to rest some of your players in the middle of the week. But if you really prioritize the Open Cup and if you want to beat Orlando, and uh, and Orlando, by the way, they, they had some starters on the bench as well. So if you really want to go for it, um, then you take a risk on the midweek game and not wait it exactly. out and see what exactly. happens with the players how do they recover and then they'll be fine for 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 the weekend so i i get it that you know there were some starters on the field for inter miami but i think that's out of necessity as well i mean there's no way you give um mls next pro players a shot at a at a round of 16 in the open cup because you're basically giving away uh, the round. So, um, yeah, I think they could have done a lot better. I think they could have done a lot better. Um, I don't know if the Miami FC and, and Tormenta uh, games can uh, actually be a measurement for this because, you know, at that time, there were some that uh, they didn't have as many minutes as they do now. So, um, and, and I think Calendar is an example. Uyoa is an example as well. Uyoa is getting back from an injury. Iguain is a different player now than when 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 he played against Tormenta, just because you know he's getting back into um, good shape. So I would say they didn't prioritize the tournament as much as Phil wanted us to believe him. Right, right. In his, right. and I think that's the problem. I think that's the bigger problem. Because right, they you know, so they if, sold a message. They sold a message, yeah. and and that and they didn't follow through on that message, fully. Right, fully. I, if, if that's, to me, that's why we're talking about it right now. 
because if he would have explained that you know he has he doesn't have a lot of depth and that you know he's going to have to rotate some of the players to to compete in both in both uh, tournaments then i think we would be okay with that and we wouldn't be talking about it but when you're talking about making the tournament a priority which i think they should have right uh, then that's why we're having this conversation. Yeah, I agree with you fully. But let's switch gears because I don't want to get stuck on any one thing. There's a lot to still talk about. We haven't even gotten to the penalty kicks yet. So let's do that now. Inter-Miami, like Andrea said, went pretty defensive-minded in extra time in the 30 minutes. They made a sixth substitution because you're allowed five in regulation right as of right now as the rules stand. And you get one in extra time. So six substitutions were made in this game, the last of which was Ryan Saylor for Robert Taylor. Intermini went to five at the back in extra time. But like Andrea said, they had essentially six defenders on the field because DeAndre Yedlin, normally the right back, he was playing as the right midfielder. And Intermini changed the shape. So it was... It was a defensive-minded approach to extra time, although, as Phil Neville said, and we have to be fair there, and, and they were low on bodies. They were low on players in that moment. Robert Taylor was exhausted. He was winded. They only could have a certain amount of players in on the bench. You know, Mo Adams wasn't on the bench in this one. They didn't take him because they can only take 18 as opposed to the 20 that is allowed for an MLS game. So they just made that switch. And they obviously were very defensive-minded. Although they did take the lead in extra time before Orlando City tied it up. Then the penalty kicks come. You're low on players that are quality penalty kick takers. Gene Mota, who was one of them, didn't even take one because he was cramping up so bad over the extra time period that he just couldn't, you know, Phil Neville thought it wasn't a good decision to have him take one. I think Phil Neville said they had Gene Mota as the 11th taker if it got that far just because of how how bad his cramps were. So, let's go to the penalty kicks. What did you guys think? Obviously, Inter Miami was shorthanded. Bryce Duke's shot didn't exude a whole lot of confidence in his short run-up and then places it pretty weakly and without placement. Easy save for Staj Duhar of Orlando City. DeAndre Edlin on the third kick shoots it over the crossbar. A pretty poor attempt from him. Leonardo Gabbana did score the first one, though, and that one was a nice... I don't know. I'm not going to call it a Panenka. I've seen some people call it a Panenka. It wasn't a Panenka. I feel like he just lifted it and kissed the crossbar. He was lucky. He was lucky because he tried to do a Panenka, and it worked because he scored, but he was it was not as good. It was not a good technique. What? <laughs> what was that? I heard a squeaky toy in the background. Uh, no, but look. That is Figo for everyone. That's Figo. That is Jose and Andrea's dog, if, you, if you're curious. But I don't know if he got lucky. Yeah, you know, like, because he didn't do the the full technique to make, you know, a panenka, which is when you clip the, the, the penalty kick shot into the net, and it has, like, a more of a floating trajectory. This one kind of just lifted up and kissed the crossbar and went down. So maybe he did try a Panenka and it didn't come off as well as he as For he wanted me, to. Like he he tried to try it but then had second thoughts and and like lifted it. It went in. Uh-huh, la yes. subió no más, la subió. He just he just like yes. raised it. It didn't it wasn't like yes. a actual true Panenka. But you could see talking about the penalties Franco, you could see the difference uh, with the players of Orlando City and uh, the way they took their penalties. I thought they were good penalties. 
you could see the difference because uh, Bryce is young, doesn't have experience. It's very hard for a player to get that responsibility. I think, as I, I said before at the start of the podcast, it is maybe a mistake by Phil. I understand that they were players that they were tired, but I think it was a mistake. When you go to extra time, you have to think about penalties. So I think it was a mistake um, getting all in with all of those defenders that you know, Mavica, Damian Lowe, are are not players that are gonna take a penalty. Uh, McVeigh is. But they not had no one else under that. They had nobody else. This is this is the bench that Inter Miami had in this game. DeAndre Yedlin, Leonardo Campana, Ariel Lasseter, Bryce Duke, Jovan Jones, Ryan Saylor, Clement Diop, the goalkeeper. They had already made five say, um, excuse me, five changes before extra time. So their only substitution, their only substitute field player that was left was Ryan Saylor. So I have to give Phil credit there. Like if you want to if we want to criticize something, then it's maybe the players that he did take on the bench. Because yes. that that would be more of the the point of criticism than as opposed to you know, because I agree with you that I you know the the extra time period and I said it in Spanish and I will repeat it here. And I don't know if you guys agree or not, but uh, Inter Miami, as we say in Spanish, ratonio. Or you know, at least they say it in Peru. Ratonio. Which yes. do they say that on Hondur- in Honduras? No, the, okay. we say parqueó el bus. Okay, so parqueó el bus would mean park the bus. So in Peru they say ratonio, which means essentially, and I'll do a very quick translation here, raton is a mouse, so it's playing like a mouse. It's in the sense that you're in your hole, in your defensive third, and you, like a mouse, only occasionally occasionally come out of your hole to look for the piece of cheese, and then you scurry back in. And that's what Inter Miami did during those 30 minutes. Ratonieron the whole 30 minutes. They got the goal. They scored first. But it was essentially just them and their defensive third the rest of the way. Just trying to find a counterattack, which they, they did not really do a good job of the rest of the way until that very last play. Now, Ratoniar, it's seen in a negative way in, in Peru and in some parts of South America because it's not very aesthetically pleasing. Now, that does not mean it can't be effective. We've seen plenty of teams around the world play something like this, and it works for them. And it almost worked for Inter Miami. Again, I go back to that Leonardo Campana shot that was headed for goal and that was just deflected by a wayward header. I don't even think Jansen or, or whichever Orlando City defender it was, I don't think they knew much about it. But it just hit their head, and it goes over the crossbar, and that saves Orlando City from a last-second defeat. So... La ratoneada, as I, as I like to say with, with friends when I'm talking and we see this approach, it almost worked for Inter Miami. It almost worked. But if you want to be critical of something, I don't think it's the approach. I think it's maybe the personnel that, that Phil Neville took. Jose. Yeah, which, you know, he's responsible for that. Of I course, mean, he's of course. Yeah, that's that. what I mean. Yeah. The, planning, the planning should be, I mean... You should plan for penalties in every in every game that they, is elimination. They, they you should plan for penalties. They did. They were playing for penalties. They were playing for penalties. No, but then, but he didn't plan for penalties because if not, he would have not gotten six defenders. That traditionally in football, defenders can't score penalties. They, when a defender becomes a penalty scorer, he's. A gem. Right, it's usually a specialist, yes. right? It's a yes, specialist. If a you're a like Sergio Ramos, yeah, like, like Sergio Ramos, Ramos that can, can score But then you see all, even the, the best ones, like John Terry, missed penalties. So, uh, historically, I mean, uh, defenders are not good penalty takers. So, if you if you were playing for, for penalties, then you should have taken more players that could take penalties. Andrea, I, I would say this, because... 
there's plenty of attacking players that take penalty kicks and miss and aren't great at them. But yes, generally speaking, in general, attacking players are more likely to take penalty kicks than defenders just due to the nature of their positions and what they practice, which is shooting more than defenders do. So to the general sense, yes, but there are attackers that obviously aren't very good at them. However, look, I think it comes down to the personnel choice, you know, and with U.S. Open Cup rules and, and a shorter bench, look, he had Campana, Lasseter, and Duke, three attacking attacking players, and he had three defensive players, Saylor, Jones, yeah. and Yedlin. So it was, a, it was a healthy balance there. Why didn't Gregory kick a penalty kick Gre- instead well, of Greg, Greg, Gregory got subbed out because he had a yellow card, yellow and, card. and Phil Neville made the decision to, to bring him off to avoid a potential... But if you Red think, card. if you're playing and are thinking about penalties, this is so, that is what I mean when I say that Phil should have thought of it more because I understand why he took Gregory off, but he should have thought about the penalties in that moment because I personally would have chosen Gregory before Bryce because Bryce is a young player. There is a lot of a responsibility to take, and you saw it the way he he he. Um, he tried his penalty. It, it was weak. It was uh, not good position. So that is why I, I think... Uh, it was a poor penalty. It was a poor it penalty. It was a poor penalty. And that is why I think Phil has a little bit of a responsibility in that in that sense. That is what I what I mean. Like, I, it would be easier for me to say it in Spanish to explain it better. But I think that is why Phil has a little bit of a responsibility. Because we, uh, the, the change with Gregore was because he thought he could get a red card. But you're playing for penalties. For me, it doesn't make sense to take away one midfielder who can. Uh, I'm not saying he's Casemiro or anything like that, but he it would he would have been better than Bryce Duke and then DeAndre Yedlin because let's say it also DeAndre DeAndre's penalty was horrible. Well, Greg, Gregory came off came off in regulation. So what he didn't make that substitution in an extra time. He made that substitution in the 74th minute. So. It was well before he was thinking about penalty kicks. No, uh, although... he was thinking about penalty kicks since minute one, Franco. He, 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 he didn't want to I don't to know lose about that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he didn't want to lose this game, absolutely. But look, I, I'll, say, I'll say this because, you know, Bryce Duke's penalty kick was not a good one. Phil Neville said he was, you know, Bryce Duke was devastated in the locker room after the game. Yeah. In Spanish. It's hard for in, a young player. in Spanish, there's a saying, I will, I will, you know, use one of these phrases again. Actually, I met two Puerto Rican fans, or maybe one Mexican, one Puerto Rican. I think they were both Puerto Rican, actually. I met them at the Open Cup game against Tormenta, and they were like, oh, yeah, we listened to the show, and we love that you, you use a Spanish phrase and then translate it to English. So uh, I will use that here, not because of that, but, you know, shout out to those to those two Puerto Rican, to those two Boricuas, but just because I think it makes sense. Para fallar un penal... Tienes que patear un penal. So in order to miss a penalty kick, you have to have the guts to take a penalty kick. And Bryce Duke's penalty kick was not good. But he, he stood tall and tried to make that effort. He he was one of the five that was in there that was on the on the sheet first. So, you know, you got to give him... You can't just... I would say you can't just criticize him for the terrible miss. Obviously, it was bad. But he, you know, he, he stood up there and, and tried to give it a go. I know I know. they said Gene Mota was cramping. I would have liked to see seen Gene Mota take one. Uh, listen, Duke is... I'm border, borderline with Duke taking him off the young list. I think you guys are giving him way too much. I mean, listen, it's a penalty. Someone has um, to miss. Somebody has to miss in a penalty shootout. 
he ne- he needs to take that penalty because he needs to recognize that the team actually needs him to score that penalty because he's the more technical player sure. from the list. Do you think he probably. missed because he was tired? Do you think the the pressure got to him? What? Why do you think it was, it was such a poor it, penalty kick? Pressure. It was, pressure. Mm-hmm. It was pressure. pressure. It was obviously pressure. It was obviously pressure. But he's he's going to learn from this and he's going to gain confidence. Yeah. But I wouldn't go that far to say that, oh, the poor kid, first time out there. I mean... He has played some games already. You know, he's he's not to me, young is no Allen. No Allen, if you put him in, in that spot, then I would expect him to miss. Took because of what I sensed from the team, I thought there was a lot of pressure for him. Especially for him. And and he couldn't handle that at the moment. Maybe he'll do better next time. But he needed to recognize that. He was no longer at that point a young guy. He was, he had another responsibility. The responsibility took another level for him because as a midfielder, and, and especially with the list of penalty takers that Inter Miami had for the game against Orlando City, Duke needed to score for the team. He needed to score that goal. And maybe that's why he, he felt that way after the game because he couldn't handle that pressure. He couldn't deliver for the team. I agree also with you, Jose, because also Campana is just 21 years old. He's young also. Right, but but we, we're, we're not saying... Oh, right, but Campana... Wait, better, 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 better. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. No, uh, no, Jose, no, 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 no. Because that's a completely different... You're Okay, by age, they're similar age. But by experience... Leonardo Campana is far more experienced than Bryce Duke. Leonardo Campana has played in different leagues across the world. Leonardo yep. Campana has played internationally uh, with his national team. Bryce Duke, Bryce Duke, Bryce Duke, Jose. Bryce Duke is an MLS player. He's never played outside of MLS. Campana has played around the world and for his national team. He has seen higher pressure situations than Bryce Duke. Now, I'm not saying, well, oh, pobrecito. That is, why Ariel, that is why Ariel and Campana made their penalties. And... That is the fact because they are more experienced players, but I don't think age uh, um, has something to do because that is why I bring Campana. It's inexperience that Bryce Stokes is, is inexperienced, and this, of course, this will help him grow and he, this he will learn because but he has the touch, he has the ability to score good penalties like Orlando did, or all of Orlando's penalties were good penalties like you said mm, i don't know if they were all good i don't know if they were all good there was one that there was one that drake calendar got a hand to and he just didn't save it but I don't, that means it's good that does not mean it's andrea of course no andrea. see I, see that's a, it, no no that's a resultadista way of looking at it no, no i disagree i would tell see that's the same word i used with steve not too long ago in the same open cup discussion not penalty kicks but open cup it's very resultadista, results-oriented. Just because a shot goes in does not mean it's a good penalty kick. You could shoot it very poorly, essentially put very yeah, poor placement, and it could go in. That doesn't mean it's a good Challenger shot. Challenger couldn't stop it because it was a good, strong shot. That is why he didn't no, I think it. I think he got a bad jump on it because he got his hand on it. If you get your hand on it, no. it wasn't like, oh, it blew by his finger. Like he, he he regretted it because he thought he could he should have had it. He, you, know, you could see in Drake Callender's body motion that he was, oh, man, I should have had that one. And he should have had that one, in my opinion. He should have, but oh, he so didn't. It was poor goalkeeping from your player. Oh, well, my goodness. Here we go. <laughs> my, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if you know this. 
Nick Monsman, get ready. Andre, I don't know if you know this, You're but Jose, Jose calls me uh, Drake Calendar's agent, which I will take. Full on board, I'll take that nickname if that's what you want to give me. I give out nicknames all the time, so I won't put up a fight here for that nickname. But uh, <laughs> look, as re- with regards to the penalty kicks, Duke and Yedlin both missed. Yedlin's much more experienced than Duke, but Yedlin's a defender. And his his penalty kick was not great either. He should sit over the crossbar. I don't even know if he was trying to go down the middle just in general and it, it just raised on him or if he was trying to place it somewhere and just hit it horribly. But it come, listen, Robin Jansen scored for Orlando City, right? He's a center back. So they had a center back go up there and take one and he scored. So, you know, we can... But we can, Inter Miami, Damian Lowe would... <laughs> well, hey, who, Damian Lowe who was number five? Who was... I think I would have gone Christopher McVeigh. I, I, for some reason... No. For some reason... That, no. Oh for some God. reason... What? It's a, it's a penalty kick. What are you like? Oh, he's going to miss it because he... What? what? Robin Jansen scored one. I think Christopher McVeigh would have made his... And obviously, this is just conjecture at this point. We don't know. I don't even know if he was in the top five. I would have been curious to see who the fifth penalty kick taker for Inter Miami was. And I asked Phil Neville after... After the game, how he went about choosing his five is it you know because different coaches do it differently. Some coaches go off of just straight numbers that they've seen from like the converted penalties in in pressure pack situations. Others go off of what they see in training. Others go off of who in the moment wants to take one. Some managers might say, "I'm picking my five that I think are best right here, right now, based on what I've seen from the run of play." And there are other coaches that just mix all of that and and. From all those elements, choose their five. And Phil Neville said, from you know that what they had seen in practice, from their stats that they that they keep, he that helped him determine the five. Also taking into consideration Gene Mota's cramps. So this this these were the these were the fives they had. Look and look really quickly, really quickly. These Campana, Duke, Yedlin, Lasser. They they all took one. Who did not take one? Mota, Calendar, Sailor, Low, Mabika. McVeigh, right? Or did I say McVeigh twice? Jones. Jones, sorry, Jones. Jones. Jones would have been a good shout. Maybe Jones was the fifth guy. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe he should have, have Jones. maybe he should have taken one before Duke and before Yedlin because he is experienced and he has played in more attack-minded positions. Again, although that does not guarantee that you're a better a better taker. But anyway. I have a question sure. for you. I have a question for you guys. Would you leave your best player for the start of the penalties or would you leave him for the fifth penalty that's a great question i want to hear your opinion on this that's a, it's a great I, question i really want to want to hear your opinions because maybe i thought campana should be the last one but he was the first one no so that, that's a great question because you know and this is where we get into the philosophical point of, of football because there's always different theories right just like with the penalty kick yeah. takers and how you organize them it's just, it's just a bunch of theories so the thought behind having your best penalty kick taker first is that you guarantee that he has a shot the thought behind behind having him last is that if it comes down to a decisive penalty kick, whether it's a tie or to win in a pressure pack situation, you have your best penalty kick taker there. But again, you might not get there. So for me, I put him first. Guarantee that he has an opportunity to score one. And that's what Phil Neville did here. He went, I, I assume, I assume Campana is the best penalty kick taker that he had available in that moment. And he went with him first. I would agree with that. That would be my my approach as well what about you jose um i think i would go with my top penalty taker for the first one okay. I, will, I would choose him for to take the first penalty just because you know you never know if you're gonna get that exactly. far to the fifth exactly penalty. 
So that that's my thought. Andrea, and, what uh, about you, Andrea? I think that that happened here because Phil knew that he, maybe he didn't get to a fifth penalty. But personally, I would like my best player to take the last penalty. Why? Really? Interesting. Okay, know, why? If I know, if I know, like, I have You're good penalty players, good t penalty taking players, I would leave my star for to take the last penalty. Yeah, you're probably thinking about having a good team. Yeah, but I, 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 that is why I ask you guys because I think what happened here is that Phil knew that there was a possibility that he, they didn't get to a fifth penalty. So I think that is why Campana and Ariel, who are in paper the best uh, attacking players that he had and the best penalty takers that he had were, were first. Well, no, no. So I think I agree with your point, but I don't agree with your reasoning for the point. I think he went with Campana first. Because he was one of the very few trusted options for penalty kicks that he had. I don't think it's because he was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to get to five. Because if he doesn't think he's going to get to five, then essentially he's, he's thinking he's going to lose penalty kicks. So I agree with your point. I don't agree with the reasoning you laid out. I think it was just more of the lines of, this is all I've got. He essentially just, just ran, out of, ran out of ammo there. So let's let's leave it there with regards to the match very quickly i want your top player from the u.s open cup for inter miami over these three games against miami fc tormenta and orlando city Drake calendar okay andrea mine too Drake calendar and i'm gonna give you my top three so that i was gonna ask top three i was gonna ask for el podio the podium but i thought it was pretty difficult exercise so i just said number one and i will say Drake calendar as well for number one yeah, Drake Calendar, and I think uh, the podium will be consisted of Ariel Lassiter and uh, DeAndre Yedlin. I would have to think more about giving a podium. It's, I mean, I would have to go more defensive-minded probably for the other position, but Damian Lowe got a red card, so I don't know if I'd put him in there. Maybe a main Babica, maybe, but I'd have to think about it more. Maybe by, my fi by the final thoughts, I will. Jose, do you want to give a podium, or do you want to think about it? Um, no, I think Drake Calendar is the only player worthy of um, being on that list, I don't think. I think we saw a lot of uh, a heavy rotation, yeah. And you know that that puts Drake Calendar at another level, and it wouldn't be fair to put anybody else close to him. No, I think obviously he was the best player in the U.S. Open Cup. I agree with that. But if we 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 we, we want a podium, we want. To give someone else credit, I right. think Ariel and, and DeAndre. No, of course, of course. The games that they came, they changed against Miami FC. They changed when Ariel and DeAndre Yedlin came on. The same as this game against Orlando, it changed when they came on. And they were both starters against Tormenta. So I think, and Ariel scored, of course. So I think that uh, besides Calendar, uh, I think these two guys had, had, had good runs in this U.S. Open Cup. I, again, I have to think about it a little bit more. Because maybe McVeigh deserves to be on there. You know, I, I would have to think about it more. But I would say Lasser is definitely in the running. Scored two goals against Tormenta. This one, he comes off the bench, makes his penalty kick. So he he's definitely, I think, in the conversation for the podium. I just don't know if I'd put him in mind. I'd have to think about it a little bit more. So we will take Andrea's podio, Andrea's podium. Jose and I will think a little bit more. Although Jose looks like he's set just on giving Drake Calendar the nod as the best player for Inter Miami in the 2022 U.S. Open Cup. You owe I will, <laughs> I will take those agent fees very, very happily. So let's leave it there for now. We will come back 
After a quick break, we'll preview the game against the Portland Timbers. We will do that after this. Well, we, we, we have a formula, you know. We, 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 take pa- pra- we take penalties most days and we record who scores the penalties and who misses the penalties. So really, they, they, they build up who's going to be in the top five and, 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 and their experience of taking penalties. So uh, I think the key with penalties is not to change your mind. Not to change your mind. You practice, you practice, uh, you know, on a Monday, Tuesday, and uh, and weekly, and you perfect a certain technique to stick it in, to stick it where you want to. And then the minute that you change in a game is that is probably the minute that you change, you you don't score. And I think we saw that tonight with the guys that that didn't score. Okay, everybody, it is that time of the week and that time of the pod yet again where we preview Inter Miami's. Next game, they have been coming at a very fast pace, but this is the last one before the team goes into a bit of a break. And joining us from the Portland area to help preview Inter-Miami versus the Portland Timbers on Saturday night at Drive Pink Stadium is none other than longtime MLS analyst, John Rojas. John, how are you doing today? How's everything going? Hey, Franco, thanks for having me. Everything good right here. Just raining, typical Portland. If, <laughs> if you guys don't know or are not familiar with John, John is a longtime MLS analyst, like I just mentioned, but the difference is that he has bounced around a lot of cities, a lot of them. And if you, you can just go to his Twitter handle and you'll see he's got New York City listed on there, New Jersey, LA, Boston, and now Portland. He is just traveling around from MLS City to MLS City. I am fully convinced that you're trying to live in every MLS market, but expansion is going to make that yeah, impossible. Yeah, I know. I just need uh, the closest stadium near me. <laughs> okay, well, right now, you're. how far are you from, from Portland or from the stadium? Uh, I'm 25 minutes so from downtown, which is exactly the stadium. The stadium is situated in downtown Portland. Yeah, so. yeah, I've been once. I went for the 2000, I think it was the 2014 All-Star Game, if my memory serves me correctly. It's the game where Pep Guardiola didn't shake Caleb hands, Porter's hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Bayern Munich right. was the opponent back in 2014 against correct. the MLS All-Stars. Oof, that memory still works. Okay, all right. Well, John, let's preview this this weekend's game. The Portland Timbers come into town to South Florida. They're fresh off of a 2-0 defeat to the Philadelphia Union from a week ago. They did not play in the U.S. Open Cup. They were already eliminated during the midweek. So they'll be a bit fresher than Inter-Miami, which just played 120 minutes and went to penalty kicks. But Portland has to travel. All that is to say, or to ask you, what have you seen from Portland to this point in the season? Yeah, Franco. Not only not only the travel uh, to your point, the weather, the time of the game because it's going to be you know a night uh, Easter time, right? It's eight. Yeah. Uh, so that all affects them, I think, in some degree. Uh, and um, the thing with Portland Timbers right now is they having a lot of issues winning. I mean, they only have three wins mm-hmm. in the whole season. And it's mostly because they have problems with their forwards. Um, they have pretty much everybody injured in that department. Um, you cannot count with Felipe Mora. You cannot count with Nies Goda, which are you know the top number nines for them. Uh, they recently brought in uh, Focaccia, which is a really nice story because this guy came from Brazil on loan to USL. He played in UNSL, 
And then Portland Timbers brought him for the for the second team, the MLX Next Pro team. Yeah. And then from that they from that team they you know got him into a MLS contract a few uh, weeks back. Um, he debuted in his score in one of the recent uh, victories that they have. I think it was for the seven two. Yeah, the seven two against uh, Kansas City. Okay. And he scored twice. But the last two games, he has not been on the score sheet. And uh, it's hard for them, you know, to find scoring opportunities. And they don't have, like I said, a, a real top goal scorer that finishes those opportunities. I think that's the biggest issue right now. And they are, you know, bouncing, bouncing back and forth between injuries, um, uh, healthy protocol and whatnot. Now, you touched on the fact that they have not been able to score, but you did mention that 7-2 to victory over Sporting Kansas City, so that might confuse listeners a little bit, but your point is accurate in that Portland has struggled as of late with scoring goals. They did explode for 7 against Sporting Kansas City three MLS games ago, but over their last 7 MLS matches, Portland has been shut out four times. Four times. Four and if, times, And yeah. if you include the Open Cup match in between there where they were eliminated by LAFC, five mm-hmm. times. Five times. So they have that not is, scored, although they did explode for seven again to repeat against Sporting Kansas City. Let's quickly just run through the numbers from Portland overall this season because you touched on them very uh, briefly there. Three wins, six draws, mm-hmm. five losses, 10th place in the Eastern Conference, 20 goals scored, 23 goals Against so very inconsistent start to poor start to the season for the Timbers. Is it just because of the attacking woes? Are there other things that are going on at play here for Giovanni Savaresi's men, or what do you think is is the the biggest problem right now with the team? I mean, yeah, the biggest problem is not having the full roster <laughs> available to you know to selection and to train. That's the biggest issue. I mean, between the injuries and 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 the healthy protocol. They have, uh, you know, many guys that are important for this team uh, out of action. And that is, that is huge for them. Uh, and creates that second issue, which is not scoring in a, on a consistent basis. If you check Franco, the, the winning column, they won against, well, the, the only big win you can say is against Austin, but that's the third game of the season, Correct. Then you have Vancouver and Kansas City. And neither of those, Vancouver or Kansas City, are having a really, you know, good level of a season, not yep. even middle of the pack season. Yep. Vancouver, down, Vancouver's in 14th place. Vancouver's in 14th mm-hmm. place, Sporting Kansas City's in 13th right now. That is correct. So so you can read on those wins that, you know, not taking away any credit for Portland on those games, but the opposition plays a role. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goalkeeper situation is is another situation that is affecting them. They don't they don't have their starting keeper uh, healthy yet. Um, they have an eye on Eric Williamson, who came back from his injury and he is injured again. It's a different injury, but we don't know yet the extent of that injury, and, and it's important. Williamson, um, alongside Diego Chara, are very important pieces for Portland Timber. So, and the other thing is Seba Blanco. Seba Blanco is, he started the season slow. He started a little late the preseason because of his contract issues. He 
he was late to sign his extension. And when the season started, he wasn't, uh, you know, starting the season. He was held in, being held back just to make sure that he was totally fine and healthy. Remember that he spent a lot of months recovering for his injury. Yeah. Uh, and now he's getting back to his form, but the minutes are only now getting regular for him. Mm-hmm. And and that is another factor. You add up all that. I mean, this is a very inconsistent, inconsistent team. And then you got to go to performances. And players like, you know, Van Ranking, for example, is not being a really reliable right back. They are having issues with him. Paredes is in, inconsistent. Some some games he's good. Some games he's not. Dyron Asprilla is not the same Dyron Asprilla that we saw in 2021, who was, you know, winning every single duel and beating down the flank. Everyone that could step by his side is is not the same one. Right. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, you touched on a few players that are important to. Portland's overall season. It sounds like they're having depth issues and injury issues, which in MLS, mm-hmm. obviously, depth is, is hard to come by, by and large. But who are some of the players that have played well? I know that might be slim pickings, but who has played well? Who are some of the danger men that Inter-Miami fans should keep an eye on or should be aware of going into Saturday night's match? Well, that not new level, but that progression that Sebastian Blanco's having is important. It's something to keep an eye on because he is getting more minutes and playing and getting closer to himself, to his own level, and that's something that Inter has to pay attention to. Um, Santi Moreno, when, when he plays, I think when he plays from the start, is a little different than when he plays out of the bench as a substitute. But he's a player that is doing a really good service to the team. He is running on both sides of the ball, defense and offensive side. He's very smart, and he is very um, very frontal on his way to attack. And, of course, you can, you know, Diego Chara is just someone that you always has to highlight. You always have to highlight him. He broke the record for you listeners. He broke the record <laughs> for most yellow cards in MLS not too long ago. So that's what expect him to be very feisty in that midfield. He is a nuisance for any team to go up against. Smart and clever in terms of having to take some tactical fouls at times. But definitely, definitely one of the, the players to keep an eye on. His brother, Yimi Chara, who Colombian fans yeah. might be very familiar with. He's also on the team, so also someone to keep an eye on. John, I ask you this now. Given all those issues, given the depth, given the different difficulties that Giovanni Savaresi is going through this year with this team, what do you think we can expect from the Timbers on Saturday night in terms of their approach? How will they look to play, in your opinion? Will they look to come out and try to win some of the ball and try to dictate the tempo a bit? Or because they're away, because of the rough patch that they're going through, because of the travel, do you think that they'll take a more reactive approach under Savaresi this weekend? Um, I don't. I don't think the approach uh, is going to change, and I don't think that Gio on his, you know, game plan changes the approach that much. He he has a clear way of how the team should play, and they try to do it every weekend. The only thing is a little wrinkles that he, of course, put in there, depending on the opposition. But I don't think that Portland Timbers is going to go out there and try to pressure um, and have a high pressure for 90 minutes 
no, I think that Portland Timbers is going to be their own version in which they have compact blocks and they're not defensive. They are waiting for the opposition on, on zone two, which is right in the middle of the field. And then they're going to have the triggers for that pressure when the ball goes on the wings. Once they win that ball, because the idea is to win the ball as soon as possible there and then attack and use the wider areas to have a good amount of service uh, to the box. So I think that is this, the stance of Portland Timbers all, always wants to have. They are not um, a possession-oriented team, but they are not a defensive team. You cannot, you know, rotulate them on, or label them as a defensive team. They are, they set up in the middle of the field. They let you have the ball. And once you lose the ball, they're going to attack you back. That's, that's, that's Portland Timbers pretty much. Okay, so not defensive-minded, but they will let Inter-Miami play a little bit, which with, yeah. which will maybe benefit Inter-Miami a little bit because they've been playing a little bit more with the balls of late, showing better signs of football in recent games, winning some of the possession battles, although they've been playing teams maybe like Portland that don't necessarily prize possession. Philadelphia Union, New York Red Bulls, so that's also contributed to them winning the possession battle. So we'll see how that how that matchup goes. John, I yeah. ask you I ask you this one final question. What do you think will be the key to the game for Portland? Because based on, on what you're saying and describing their style of play, it sounds very similar to Inter Miami, which obviously has Leonardo Campana more often than not as the starting striker, and he relies obviously on a lot of service from the wings, whether it's Ariel Lasseter, Robbie Robinson, DeAndre Yedlin, whoever's mm-hmm. playing out on the on the flanks. Leonardo Campana is not a striker that necessarily creates his own shot. He needs that service into him. Sounds like Portland has a very similar model and a very similar formula. So what will be the key to the game, in your opinion, for the Portland Timbers to at least get a result, if not three points, against Inter-Miami on Saturday night? Looking at the Timbers' uh, you know, uh, way of expecting to get something out of this game, I will say the the... Mental fortitude to stay compact, to do not leave any kind of uh, intervals, spaces between, especially between the three up front and, and the three in the midfield, Paredes, Chara, and whoever replaces Williamson. Um, that is very important. And then when it comes to the attack, um, having or taking the oppor- every opportunity, every chance as soon as possible, a score as soon as possible is important for Timbers. They always try on their mind to be the, you know, the one who opens the scoreline, score the first goal as soon as possible. And I'm going to say, Franco, one big thing for Portland is set pieces. Uh, okay, interesting. Keep on, yeah, keep an eye on Bill to Iloma. If it is a free kick with a good amount of distance from the goal, he has a really good strike. He hits the ball really well and and. And he can help the team on that way. And on corner kicks, Bill Twiloma, again, is the one who is set up to win those aerial duels and, and score for Portland Timbers. Very interesting. Very interesting because Inter-Miami, defensive set pieces, they've held up for the most part. Attacking, they've they recently scored their first in that regard. So I, I, something I've talked about on this podcast, oof, dating back to 2020 during the expansion season, that... Inter-Miami needs to improve on set pieces because like mm-hmm. you just mentioned, it, it's definitely a, a tool to help you 
earn some points, if not win games, because sometimes you don't have it from the run of play. Sometimes it's just not on yeah. for you in that day, and, and the set piece can unlock the other team, can open things up, they have to attack you a bit more, and now you have more spaces in behind to exploit and to, to run at. So, John, before we let you go, I have to ask you to do something that we ask all our guests to do. And I think you're going to pass this with flying colors because you are Colombian. So, yes, John Rojas is Colombian, ladies and gentlemen. This show is called Miami Total Football Radio in English, but when I named it, I said it has to be a name that can also be said in Spanish. And that obviously makes this podcast Miami Total Football Radio. And we roll the R's and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will ask you to say it in Spanish. Miami Total okay. Football Radio with the R's rolled and everything. We're, we're, at the end of the year, I think I'm going to have like a, a pecking order, a list of like uh-huh. who did really well and who did not do so well. I don't. I think you'll be near the top. I have you as one of my favorites. So no pressure, no All pressure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. Miami Total Football Radio. Hey, okay, all right. I, I thought you would. I thought you would hold the R a little longer. I thought John Rojas. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I could do it too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're just trying to. You're just trying to be middle of the pack. I see. I see. You don't. You don't want to show off. You don't want to show off. Okay. Cool. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is John Rojas. And if you want to follow his work, well, you can follow him on Twitter at J Rojas A seventy five. John, thank you so very much for joining us today. We will leave it there for now. We will come back and do the Q&A session. We will do that, guys, after this. It's Q&A time. Let's just jump right into it. We have a few questions, so let's try to let's try to do one each. One each. And you know, we can banter about if if we feel is necessary. First one comes from Elder Bar, and he says Primo is the Kieran Shawcross of the pod. Changes a lot, rarely plays. <laughs> Jose is the Pizarro. The lone and singled out one. Franco, I might have to give you the Uyoa. Been there since the beginning. Think the recent showings are the best this roster can produce? Or is it a Phil problem? Jose, since you were named in that tweet, I will allow you to have the honor of answering that question. Um... It's a very good question. It's a very good question. I don't think Phil is the problem right now. I don't think he's the problem. I think he's uh, doing okay, an okay job with, with the players that are available right now. Um, we can sometimes, you know, go through tactics in, in different scenarios and think, well, maybe he should have done this or... Or, or, or maybe with, with the Emerson situation, whether he doesn't believe in him to give him more minutes. Uh, those are things that are uh, that we can talk about. But um, I would say um, that we can expect a little, a little bit more from this team. But they need help. They need help. I, I don't think they are. 
they're going to get significantly better than what we have seen as of right now. Uh, but they but they can do just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Um, so why aren't they like doing said, a little bit more? It would be my question to you. Because they don't have when it comes to players, they don't they don't have a lot more. They they So I then mean, so you so you the answer to the question the question is think the recent showings are the best this roster can produce. So you're saying yes. No, I think they can do just a little bit more. I think so they, they but why aren't they showing a bit more? Because I don't I don't you're like not making sense to me now because you're saying that they are not they could do a little bit more, but you're not giving me a reason for why they're not doing a little bit more besides saying like they don't have a lot of players. So then this is the best that they can give, essentially, in your opinion. No, because the reason why I mentioned that is because when they go through injuries, um, that usually limit limits them. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna set you an example and I knock on wood. Um, if for some reason Campana is not able to play, then you're you're basically you're gonna have to play way in every single game or you're gonna have to improvise with a nine, which I think we saw early in the year with Lasseter playing as a nine. So um that that's the situation for me. If Phil ends up with a full roster for uh a month or two, I think we're gonna see something better from the team. Right, but injuries are part of the game, Jose. So I you know, I, it's hard to ever really have a fully healthy Fully informed squad, but okay, all right. But so now so. that you don't have open cup, now that you don't have open cup, you have a full week. Players can recover a little bit more. I mean, you know, listen, Jose, they have they have a three week break. They can rest and recover, and you know they have a couple weeks without games. But then in July, they've got seven games in one month. So it's not like they're going to just come back and have a full week's worth of preparation and get back to that flow because they have seven games in July, including and that Bar- including that Barcelona friendly. Are gonna are gonna get called up. They have a lot of players that are are going to their national team, so it's not like they are all resting. Right. That's why. That's why I don't like. I don't necessarily agree with Jose, but we're but we're not going to we're not going to all jump into each other's questions because otherwise we'll be here for for a long time. And I'm trying to get through this Q and A session fairly quickly. No, it's not my birthday, but we are running long. Andrea, I will ask you this one from Dos Knows. Contrary to what Island Jose has been saying, I think we have been playing well. We dictated play versus DC and we held our own versus a good Orlando team. Considering our wing options, who had a better game? Emerson or Vasilev? Should they deserve more playing time or a starting spot? Well, I think they both showed uh, not... Nothing. Nothing. They showed almost nothing. No. But... I think that I would decry for Emerson. I would choose Emerson because Emerson has speed. But I can see with Emerson that he's maybe sometimes a little bit afraid of, as we say in Spanish, soltarse, of going for it. I think he's afraid because I guess he knows that Phil doesn't like his style that much. So I think if you ask me for my opinion, I would give Emerson more playing time than Indiana Vasilev, that I think he's a good player, but... Um, he just got here, and uh, it's difficult getting used to playing uh, that amount of games in such a short time with new teammates and all of that. But I like better what I see from Emerson than what I see from Indiana. So I yeah. think he deserves uh, a lot more playing opportunities and a lot of more, as I say in Spanish, soltura, that Phil lets him soltarse to eat the field because... He could be a great threat for for MLS 
for MLS teams because he is fast. And uh, I think Inter Miami needs fast players like him. I, I would say one thing about him. I, I thought, you know, again, he had a rough start to the game against Orlando. But, you know, uh, as time went on, he got better and better and better. And, and to me, there was one thing that caught my attention with Emerson. And I asked this uh, this to Phil in, in the press conference. And I, I don't think I got uh, a clear answer. Uh, maybe I didn't ask the, the question the right way, but I felt like Emerson had opportunities, you know, just to break out. And with his with his pace, I think he had one v one chances that he would have been able to um, move past the defender and then out of a counterattack create an opportunity. But two or three times, as he had that opportunity, he slowed down, and I'm not sure if that's by design, if Phil wanted to uh, keep possession, or um, it's it's a lack of confidence from him, you know, having an opportunity to 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 play your game because that is his game, and be the aggressor and try to get inside the box and try to get a shot on goal, um, and and so if that is the plan from Phil to have him stop, then you know I think you're limiting his opportunities because that's his game. And so and now you've con- just- now you've now you've kind of contradicted your last your your answer to your question because now you're saying oh well it might it might be on Phil that one of the players isn't isn't playing to in the this best. case I think it's but because is, of Phil in, in Emerson's case I think it's because of Phil because as Jose is saying and as I was yes, saying he has flashes he has moments where he can wow you and get you off your seat but he doesn't do anything productive in the final third did he set up a chance did he did he take a chance no i want to tell you something here i asked ariel in the game that he scored and i asked him do you he had a little bit of more space more freedom and i asked him did did the coach tell you to do that? Did he give you a liberty? And he actually said, no, actually, the coach wants me to stay static. So I think in Emerson's case, is Phil's responsibility because he is limiting him. As I said, he is limiting. Him. And, and as Jose said, that is his ability. That is why he caught the eyes of, of MLS teams. And that is why he caught the eyes of national team uh, um, coaches and all of that. Because that is what uh, talent looks like in in, in, a, in a, when you're a winger in a, in the attacking field. So I think in in Emerson's case, it's, it's it's just Phil. He doesn't like his style of play, and he limits him like he limits uh, limits Ariel. And when Ariel gets out of that limit, it's when the team be, be, uh, better plays better. I disagree with you, Andrea, here again because Inter Miami is defensive minded team. So yes, they have more, they prioritize more defensive responsibilities than to have players just have more attacking responsibilities. They do have to do a lot of defensive work. Just That's just the nature of how Film Level wants the team to set up. But, but... Which is essential to a defensive, a defensive team. Correct, you but, 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 em- I mean, but, right, it- but Emerson with the ball, when he has moments with the ball, when he, when they play passes to him, and he has moments to do his thing, or to do something of note, he does not, and he has not, now he's, he's still transitioning to time in MLS, in, in MLS, and his new life, yes, 100%, he's still adapting, he's still adapting, and sometimes it takes a season, a full season, to really get used to all the new things, and the style of play, and everything, but from what we've seen to right now, he does not deserve 
more minutes than he's getting. Because he, he, he has not shown much of anything. Now, the question was about Vasilev and Emerson Rodriguez. I will say this because I do feel strongly about it. I need to see more from Indiana Vasilev. I know that they the team rates him. They brought him back a second season. They, they talked good things about him last year. They've talked good things about him this year. But I just don't see it from him either. Like During this stretch since he's come back and much of last year, I just haven't been convinced. He's never really convinced me with any of his performances. Yeah, he popped up and scored some goals last year, which is to his credit and something the team needs. They need goals. But from the run of play, too individualistic, doesn't make the best decisions. That, I would say, is something to consider. Does Phil Neville just ask his wingers to... Be very direct and go at defenders. Is he asking them to combine? That would be more of my question. But regardless, with, with according to, to Ariel Lassiter, he doesn't. He wants them static. He doesn't want them to to go anywhere. He doesn't want them to take liberties, and that is why that's fine. Liberties, that's fine. But that's and fine. That Andrea. Why Robert Taylor and then Avasilev. We're talking about all the wingers this team have, and that is why we all talk and talk about them because they are not placed in good positions because of Phil's tactics. That is the truth. He doesn't give them the liberties. That, but that's right. Away. So that's, okay, I understand that point. <clears throat> and I agree with you that they don't have the liberty to just attack more freely. But from what they are doing, from what they can do, I, you need to see more. From what they are allowed to do, you need to see more from, from Emerson Rodriguez. You, maybe your point is that he's being shackled tactically and that's not freeing him up to play his game, which, okay, I, I understand. But look, Ariel Lasseter in a similar role on the on either wing, he has performed better. Have not seen that from Emerson Rodriguez, be it with a pass, be it with a goal. There's not been one game where I was like, maybe what the Miami FC game where he showed to, flashes. You maybe. used to drag Ariel because you didn't like how he played. That was in preseason when I was like, all right, I don't think he's going to come in here and score goals. And listen, he has one. He has listen. He has one MLS goal. So let's not get carried away. But he yeah, does but give. He's been, he's been assisting Campana and has been important for. So he's he's kidding right now. He's the best socio. He's the best. I don't know how to say partner or whatever to Campana. We won't get into the area last week because I've again. He's been the best winger that this team has had this season. So, in that regard, But he's yes. telling us that Phil limits him. If he's the best and still Phil limits him, can you imagine what he does with the other but players? That's, but that's the whole point, that the wingers... The that's wingers still have to defend, Andrea. The wingers have to defend. They have to defend on this team. Yeah, and, and, and Ariel's able to perform even with those defensive responsibilities. Now, maybe his game is more suited to that. But Okay, fine. But either way, when you're on the field... You have to produce. You have to produce. That's how you earn more minutes. That's how you earn more time. To this point, Emerson Rodriguez has not done that. Has not done that. Neither ha- and for me, Indiana Vasilev hasn't either. You guys have completely overlooked Indiana Vasilev as part of the question, but that's fine. Regardless, I think both of them need to step it up. You asked me, the question was, who deserves more time? And I think Indiana, of course, has. I told you, Indiana hasn't shown uh, anything, but I think it's the same thing because Phil doesn't like the, his wingers um, taking that liberties, and it's, I understand clear. that's his tactical analysis of the game. I understand that, but he should see that this the players that he has give them that possibility, give him that possibility. Like when Robert Taylor played in in wing, they played good against DC United because he saw that opportunity. When you have players like that, not to dismiss the question. 
not to dismiss the question, but the reality is that Robert Taylor should be playing there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he, yeah, well, he, exactly. he probably is the go-to. He's probably the and go-to I, option. And I told you, Franco, on the DC United game, before, when we had the rain delay, he should play. I'm glad to see Robert Taylor playing here because I've told you since the beginning, he should play him in his position. Right, and now he, I think he will now that they've found that Bryce Duke can be effective in that midfield. But let's let's move on. Last question or last comment. It comes from Don Cafecito. He says, it's nice to see Phil saying they were taking U.S. Open Cup seriously, but let's be real. No way Inter was going all the way. It's difficult to compete on two fronts with a thin squad, so the silver lining here is Inter can now focus on league play and for a playoff spot, it's close. Yes, they can focus on league play now. Again, I've already said that you know, while they did pro- uh, put in importance, put importance into Open Cup, I don't think they prioritized it outright. So won't add much more there. Let's give our final thoughts, guys, because we've gone long on this episode. So start with Andrea, Jose, then myself, and we'll wrap up the show after that. I think Inter Miami can build up from their performance in the U.S. Open Cup this year. Uh, it was their first time. Uh, and I think they, they're, they're, Phil and, and his players have a responsibility of building up from that uh, to to pass it to the league. And they have a good test uh, this weekend against Portland, who is a well-coached team, a well-managed team, who has um, managed to still play good football in this league when this league is is good football in all aspects. When this league, you know, there are some defending teams, there are some attacking teams that don't have substance on either on, on, on every side of the ball, but Portland do. So I think it's going to be a good test for Inter Miami. It's going to be a good test uh, for Phil because I think um, Giovanni Savares is one of the best coaches in this country. So I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what Phil and his um, his assistants and, and, and the players uh, show this weekend against Giovanni Savares in Portland. Okay, Jose, your final thought. Uh, my final thought is a little bit personal. Tomorrow is my anniversary so yeah. uh, <laughs> i will be celebrating with my loving wife wow wow way so to get brownie she, points yeah she's she's so lucky um <laughs> so yeah happy anniversary my love happy anniversary oh that's, my- that's that's sweet that's sweet i'm doing the so heart sweet. i'm doing the heart hand gesture right now like you know when they score goals and they do little Goodness, hearts with their hands yes. yeah that's what i'm doing right now and i'm picturing you too in there. Well, I'm surprised that neither of you, as your final thought, brought up Jorge Mas's introduction at Real Zaragoza. Do you want me to bring oh Jorge Mas? No, 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 you can't do it now. No, the final thought. No, save it. Listen, go on to three and we have save it for next week. Save it for next week. Save it for next week. We do have practice, intermediate practice to get to later today. So let's leave it. Let's leave it there. We'll talk. We can talk about that next week. My final thought I have two. I really enjoyed our discussion. I'd always enjoy our discussion, but I really enjoyed our discussion, especially when we got to the penalty kicks, just nerding out on all our soccer thoughts and philosophies and theories. I really enjoyed that with you too. So thank you for sharing that with me. I hope the listeners enjoyed that as well. But my second final thought is on the new jersey that released. It's part of the prime blue uh what's that? What's the word Ocean I'm looking for? Initiative. Yeah, it's the initiative. There you go. You got you there you go. Good assist, Andrea. Very uh Ariel Lasseter of you. It's part of the new initiative, or the initiative that MLS has. They started last year. Inter Miami had the dark color jersey. It was a blue jersey. This year they have to go with the light because they have to alternate. And I don't really like it. It's just a basic white with some peach lettering. Looks kind of peachish, maybe. It's not pink. It's like a pink peach. 
not a, not a great look. We'll see what it looks like on the field when they wear it. So if you haven't seen it, you can go on Miami Total Football's Instagram page and check it out. But that does it for this week's show. Thank you guys again so very much for listening. We will be back again next week to recap the Portland Timbers Inter-Miami match before Inter-Miami heads off into the international break. So for the lovely couple that is Andrea Yanis and Jose Armando, happy anniversary by the way, guys. I am Franco Penizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio. And we'll talk to you guys again very soon. Thank you.